Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. So, we are continuing on in this series called Secret Devotion, and what it is is Scott opened up this series two weeks ago asking the question, should Christians celebrate Lent? And he gave us the awesome church answer of, it depends. Um, but what we're doing now is we're taking a look at the three pillars of Lent, and it's almsgiving or sacrificial giving, prayer, and fasting. Those are the three things, and the way that we're looking at it is we're looking in Matthew, well, it's really the Lord's Prayer, which goes from Matthew 5, 6, 7, and in this part, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, and looking at what Jesus is telling his early followers. The Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus talking to his early followers and just telling them, here's how you should do things. And so this part, what we're looking at is when Jesus tells them how to pray. And it gets referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to just kind of take a look at that and break down, okay, what is Jesus calling his followers to when it comes to praying, and what do we need to see about this passage, all right? So here's how it starts. In Matthew, I'm going to give you five to eight. It won't be up on the screen. Um, I'll explain why in a second. It says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be rewarded for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here's why we're kind of skipping over that. Verse 5 to 6 doesn't seem that applicable for most of you in this room, if we're just going to be honest. Most of you probably have more intimidation about praying in groups or praying in front of people than you have a problem of, like, being out on the street corners or in the lobby, like, dear Lord, let me just, I haven't seen you guys doing it, which is good because it's weird and Jesus tells you not to. Um, But probably not something we need to spend a ton of time with. The next part in 7 and 8, Jesus is just saying, don't think you have to use a bunch of words. Don't think it has to be eloquent. Don't think it has to be fancy. Don't think that you need to earn his favor or gain his attention or try to impress him because he already gave you his attention. He's already paying attention to you. Don't think you have to be fancy and impressive to get him to pay attention to you. And then he moves on. And this is the part where you guys have probably heard this before. But it's what we're going to focus on this morning, and it's verse 9 through 13, and it says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the funny thing is, as I read that, I hear the murmur in the audience because some of you are already saying it along with me. Some of you have said this so many times, you've heard this so many times that you almost, it's almost reactionary that you just say it also. But my question for us this morning is, 
do we know this so well that we don't know it? And you guys are like, well, that doesn't make sense. What I'm saying is, it's like when you smell a smell so many times that you don't smell the smell anymore. Have we heard it so many times that we don't understand the impact? Have we heard it so many times that we think we know what it means, but maybe we don't really know what it means? And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to dive into it, and we're really going to break down the Lord's Prayer. But before we do, there's two things I want to separate out, okay? First one is this. Jesus is teaching his early followers how to pray. He is not saying this is the only way you can pray. Jesus himself prays in other ways many times throughout Scripture. This is not the only way we're supposed to pray. This doesn't mean every single time you pray, you just recite this over and over again, and that's all prayer is. That's not what he's saying. But on the other side of that, I think Jesus is saying, you should be praying this on a regular basis. I think Jesus' call to these followers is, this is something that you should have memorized and you should be praying over and over. It should be one of those prayers where when you get out of bed and you start your day, this would be a great thing to pray. All right? So let's get into it. It starts out, our Father in heaven. And the first thing I want to highlight is our. Because what Jesus is saying there is not this, like, because I'm here and all of us are here, our Father. What he's saying is, this is your Father. And this is your father, 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 and it's my father, and it's your father, and it's your father. So he's saying, our father. It's this idea that if you have a relationship with God, if you have been forgiven by Christ and entered into that relationship, then you have taken on the identity of Christ, and you are a child of God. You are in that family. You are a part of his family. You are an heir to the throne. So it's our father because you are one of his children. And then the next piece when it says father, there's a famous theologian named A.W. Tozer, and he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so my question for you is this, when you think and when you go to pray, our father in heaven, what is the picture of God that comes into your mind? How do you see God? And so I'm going to help you with that, okay? I'm going to give an illustration and I need help for this illustration. Perfect. Yeah, helpers, get up here. Come here. So, these are my favorite helpers, right? These are my kids. This is Grace, and this is Addie, and I'm incredibly blessed to get to be their dad. And they give me a gift on a very regular basis, um, almost every day, thankfully, that when I come home from work, I get out of the truck And they come running out of the house. And you know what they scream when they come running out of the house? Daddy! And then I get a huge hug and I get a huge kiss. And it's one of the highlights of my days. I love it. I absolutely love it. Because I love them. And I love that we get to have a relationship. And I love that we get to be close. Yeah? Are we? Thank you for that smile. Do we get to be close? Yeah. Okay, perfect. 
Um, all right, that's all you guys had to do. You're the best, thanks. Can you guys clap for them? I think they did awesome. So my question for you is this. Do you understand the image of our Father? Do you understand how much God loves you? And I know for some of you, you're like, Josh, your illustration has you as God. I get it, okay? I'm not trying to say I'm God, but what I would say in that is, I love my kids so much, and I would love, I can't even express how much I love them and how much I want to be a part of their lives and how much I want what's best for them and how much I try to do everything in my power to give them the best possible life I can give them, and my love falls so short from God's love. I can't love like God loves because I'm not God and he is love and I am not love and I mess up and he doesn't mess up and he loves far greater than I can love. But my question is, do you actually see God as loving you that way? Do you understand he wants an intimate, close relationship with you or do you just think he wants you to obey him and do what he tells you to do? Because I can tell you this, I love it when my kids obey. But my relationship is not based on that. I want so much more in my relationship with them than just their obedience. I want to connect with them. I want to have a relationship with them. I want to be a part of their lives. I want to make memories. I want to hear stories. I want to walk through life with them. And my question is, do you understand that God loves you even more than I can love them? Because how you think God sees you will impact everything about how you interact with them. Do you realize that Jesus starts this out with our Father for a reason? It moves on after that and it says, our Father in heaven. And it's tricky because this gets, it feels different, right? Our Father seems so close and so intimate and then in heaven seems so far and so distant but I think one of the struggles with that is in the original language, the way this is translated is it's actually a plural. It's not a singular. So what it should say is our father in the heavens. And the reason why it would say in the heavens is because for the people at that time, the world or kind of the universe existed in three different forms. You had the depths that was like below. It's what was below the surface and below the land. Then you had the surface, and that's where life existed. That's where you got your food, and you met with people, and you hung out. And then above that is you had the heavens. And the heavens were over everything, and kind of it was what sat right on top of everything else. And so what Jesus is saying here is not our Father in heaven distant far away. He's saying our Father in the heavens, which would have had them realize what he's saying is our Father who's all around us. There's a famous theologian um, who's named Dallas Willard, and he paraphrases it, and he says a better understanding for us would be to say our Father always near us. Our Father who's in every breath, our Father who's in every step, our Father who is constantly around us, that's who you're talking to. That's who we're addressing. And it moves on. It says, hallowed be your name. And I haven't used the word hallowed in normal life in a while, and I don't think most of us have. But really, the easiest translation would just to be holy or set apart or revered. And when it says your name, and for them at that time, your name was not just your name, it was your identity and who you are. 
And so Jesus says, Father, make your name holy. Make who you are be set apart. Make who you are be revered. But the thing that we have to grab onto in this that is, it's tricky for us in English because the way Jesus is speaking right here would be considered a third-person imperative. And I know you guys didn't even think I knew the term. Um, I just watched a YouTube video. But it's a third-person imperative which means Jesus is, because we don't have this in our language, so it's hard, but it's an essentially inappropriate, respectful command of his father. So this isn't him saying this is just some sort of praise or this is some sort of greeting. What Jesus is saying is essentially a respectful command of his father to say, Father, make your name revered. Father, make your name be honored and held in high esteem. Make this happen. And then he goes on in the same tense, and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's still saying, make this happen here. Father, I am respectfully commanding or respectfully asking of you to make make heaven come here. And I think that's different for a lot of us because for a lot of us, the way that we've kind of been raised or the way that we think about it a lot of times is, If we just don't mess up enough, then boop, at the end, we get heaven. And so the goal is really like, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up, boop, heaven, right? That's what we're hoping for. And that's how we think, like, just preserve and preserve and preserve and then heaven, and then we're good. And that's what we want. And Jesus says, no, that's not the goal. That's not what we're asking. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bring your way, bring your reign, bring your principles, bring your style here to earth. Lord, let your love, your joy, your peace, your forgiveness, your kindness, your gentleness, let how that comes out in heaven be here on earth. Make that happen here on earth. And so that's the first section. And the way we should understand this is because now it switches to what's considered a second-person singular imperative. I know, be impressed. Still YouTube. Um, What it is, is he's now switching to this is how it's going to happen. He's saying, Lord, this is what we're asking of you. We want to honor your name and esteem your name, and we want your kingdom to come, have that to be done on earth as it it is in heaven, but here's how it's going to happen. So, Lord, help us to do this because in doing this, we make your kingdom come. Lord, in doing this, we honor your name. So now we get into the how we're going to do it part. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. And I think so often what we get to, because we've prayed this model before, and it's like, okay, now you get to pray for your needs or your wants. And most of us are really just waiting for this part. And we're like, all right, Lord, here's, here's the laundry list of things I'm asking for. Just give me all the things I want now, okay? And I think a better understanding of this is if we would go to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, and it says this. It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. And I think a better understanding of what Jesus is calling us to ask for so that we can honor God's name is to say, God, make me dependent on you. 
Don't give me so little that I do things I shouldn't do or that my physical needs aren't even met. And so that consumes me and that's all I think about. But Lord, on the other side, don't give me so much that I think I don't need you. Don't give me so much that I'm not dependent on you. How many of us have ever prayed that prayer? Hey, Lord, don't make me rich. (laughs) Usually, let's be honest, this is usually the section that we're asking to be rich. We don't say like, make me rich, but we're like, give me everything I want as though I was rich. Right? Maybe you're just better people than me, but I've done it. Sorry for not setting the bar higher. But what Jesus is saying here is pray that God would have you at this place where you honor his name, where you have enough that your needs are met, but not so much that you don't think you need him. Because the goal is to honor his name. The goal is to bring his kingdom here. I think the other thing that this gives us great opportunity for is to see that for most of us in this room, if we're being honest, we don't have really many needs at all. Because God's met all of them. And it's a great time for us to thank him and say, God, you have literally met all the needs that I have. And that's an incredible gift that I probably take for granted way too often. The other thing that I think this section does is this. Is it helps us to separate out our needs and our wants. And it also reminds us, it says, give us this day our daily bread. It reminds us to focus on this day. Matthew chapter 6 says it like this. In Matthew chapter 6, 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think Jesus is reminding you, stay focused on what I've called you to today and what's going on today. Don't spend all of your time worried about the future, planning for the future, controlling the future, taking care of the future outcome, because guess what? You don't have as much control as you think. You don't impact that as much as you think. And really what you get from that is anxiety, not benefit. And Jesus is reminding us, God has got you. Don't worry so much about what's coming. Trust him. But stay present in today and understand he's got your future. Don't spend all of your time worried about trying to control what's coming next. The next part is this. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I think this is such a big piece because what it's really doing is reminding us God has forgiven us of so much. He's redeemed us. He took all the dumb things we've done. He's taken the junk of our life and he has redeemed it and he's given us a new life. He's given us the identity of Christ. And in doing so, he asks us to show that forgiveness to others. And when you show that forgiveness to someone else, you're not only thanking God for what he's given you, you're putting it on display for them also. And God's saying, put that on display for them to see so that I get honored. Because remember, the goal is to honor his name, to set him apart and to bring his kingdom here. And in his kingdom, he set a pretty honest rule on forgiveness. And I would say the truth of this too, that we don't like to talk about, is when we don't forgive someone, at least for me, as much as I don't like to confront this truth, if I won't forgive you, you own my actions. 
because I won't say nice things about you, I won't treat you well, I won't think highly of you, I won't be loving towards you, and I won't let you come to my birthday party. Right? And that's not God's stance on people. And if I'm going to do it that way, then you control my actions. And if you control my actions, then God does not control my actions. And the truth is, if we're walking around with a bunch of bitterness and hatred in our hearts, we cannot in that area be a part of bringing God's kingdom here because God's kingdom does not have bitterness and hatred. And if my goal is to bring your kingdom here, then forgiving someone else is not an option because that doesn't exist with God. Then we move on. And it says, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And really what, he's, what Jesus is saying there is, God, don't let us fall into evil. Don't let us mess up our lives. Don't let us fall into the things, the temptations of this world. Don't let us give away this amazing opportunity we have by consuming the temptations that are always around us. Don't let that become my life priority. And then he finishes with, deliver us from evil to remind, Lord, remind me that you have conquered evil. Remind me that you've set me apart, that you've set all of us apart, that this game has already been played, that the score has already been turned in. It is finished. And Lord, remind me that you win. Remind me of the truth that you conquered that. And let me rest in that and let me take confidence in that. And so as we finish that prayer, where I want to go now is this. Why is it so important? And what is the potential that it has in our lives? If we're really praying this every day and intentionally thinking about it, why is it so important? And what is the potential that it has in our lives? And the first thing that I would say is this. The first one is, it allows us to understand something Jesus taught. And when Jesus teaches things, we should understand them. It's simple, right? But if you want to be a Christ follower, when he gives you a clear instruction on something, it's a good idea to understand what he's saying. And a lot of times Jesus teaches with parables and different things, and it's a lot harder to understand. This one is pretty clear and pretty obvious, so we should know it. The second part is this. It makes sure our picture or idea of God is correct. As A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God, and it makes sure you remind yourself that this is your Father who's always with you. Your loving Father who wants to have an intimate, tender relationship with you, that wants to go through every day. This is not some commander God, and I understand God is on his throne, and he is holy, and he is set apart. But if that's the only view of God you have, that's going to have a significant impact on your relationship with him. And if you don't understand that he wants to be with you, he wants to spend life with you, he wants to hold your hand and walk through things, he wants to make memories, and he wants to have fun, you will never have a great relationship because your picture of him won't allow it. Our Father in heaven, we have to have the right picture of him. The next thing that I think it does that's so important is it frees us from the boredom of selfish Christianity. You guys know what I mean by that? When we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and instead of give us our needs, we turn it into all the things we want, you know what we often pray for is things that really aren't that significant. 
And you know what happens when we pray for things that aren't that significant? Even when God meets them, it doesn't really do much for us. Let me give you an example of this. Lord, please help us to get there safely. Lord, give us traveling mercies and help us get there safely. Lord, please help us have a smooth trip and arrive safely. You know what happens when you arrive safely? Nothing. Because you expect it. It's not a God-sized prayer. It's not a big enough prayer for us to really feel like, wow, God, you intervened on that one. And we just make it about our own selfish protection. It really doesn't do much for us. And please understand this. I'm not saying don't pray about those things. God says pray without ceasing. Pray about those things. Just make sure it's not the biggest thing you're praying for. Make sure that's not the sum total of your prayers. Because when we find ourselves praying about just stuff of, Lord, keep me safe. Lord, give me a little bit more money. Lord, let this conversation go well. Truthfully, when that gets answered, you know what happens? Pretty much nothing. Because we're praying boring prayers. God is so much bigger than that. But if you can flip the script and say, God, your kingdom come and let me be a part of it. Let me be a part of something bigger than just myself. Let me have more than just the simple wants of this life. I think the next thing that's so important is it leads to fulfillment on a completely different level. It leads to fulfillment that we would never have from our own selfish prayers being met. Let me explain this, or let me demonstrate this, okay? As embarrassing as this is, I have prayed for all of these things. And again, I don't say it's embarrassing because I've prayed for it. I'm saying it's embarrassing because at the time, this was probably like the most important thing to me, okay? Like I really was praying for this. Lord, give me more free time. Give me more time to be out on the golf course. Lord, please give me a newer vehicle for Katie. Or give us a newer vehicle. Lord, give me a newer vehicle. Lord, give me a newer dirt bike. Lord, give me a safe trip, a safe trip, a safe trip. Lord, give me a raise or more financial bandwidth. And guess what? If and when God meets those, do you know what happens? Not much. Because it's just selfish desires. But let me flip the script. If I actually get to be a part of praying and being a part of God's your kingdom come and honor your name, do you know what happens? Let me show you. About a year ago, I got to be a part of a group that meets on Monday night. It's a group of guys, and we do a Bible study on Monday nights. These guys have become some of my best friends. I love them, and I cherish these relationships, okay? But I think it's safe to say, one of them sitting over here so he can agree, it's safe to say that at the start of it, for at least some of them, God was not a priority in their life or there was no relationship with God. Somewhere in there for at least some of them. And over the course of a year, God has done incredible things in this group and incredible things through what we got to get to do on Monday nights. And so I asked them, because they're good buddies, I said, hey, would you write just a paragraph of how your life is different over this past year? Just tell me how it's been different. What has God done? 
okay? And they're great friends, and they're kind, and they gave me responses, and they told me I could read them to you. So here you go. From my friend Mark, it says this. Through my relationship with God, I have been able to find peace and comfort in him. When times are hard and confusing, or sorry, I've been able to find peace and comfort in, in him when times are hard and confusing. Trusting God has made me a better person. Before I trusted God, I would try to find answers in the wrong places. From Evan, it says, over the past year or so, I made the decision to open myself to God's written word in the Bible and reestablish my faith in Jesus Christ. In doing so, I felt an overwhelming positive shift in my life. I feel like my wife and I are on the same page more often and can have productive conversations when tensions arise. I've prioritized relationships with my children and friends that have similar values. I find myself forgiving people whom I've had a long-standing dispute with. At work, I feel like I have someone I can lean on for hope during times of stress. Overall, I feel like my faith has helped me build a foundation on rock. When the storm comes, I know I'm not alone anymore. And from Mike, I believed that because of my sins, I deserved all the bad that had happened in my life. I believed that when anything good happened, that was just dumb luck or coincidence. I believe there was no way to break through my strongholds and addictions. I don't believe these things anymore. I now believe that although I don't deserve it, he has forgiven me. I now believe that what I thought was luck or coincidence was actually God performing miracles in my life, and I am so blessed. I now believe that he has already won all my battles and destroyed my strongholds, and he was waiting for me to join the fight. I'm not sure if I found Jesus or if he found me, but I am sure that he has always been there for me. I have now learned the power, sorry, the power of prayer and the power of reading scripture daily. I have learned that God has always loved me. I have learned that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost that floats around me. Yes, that's something I used to believe, but rather his spirit lives within me. His power dwells within me. How awesome is that? My life has changed in so many ways and continues to improve every day because of his word, his love, and his grace. And I am so grateful to have an opportunity to glorify him. Thank you, God. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you know why I think that has a different level of fulfillment? Because no matter how many times you take me out golfing, it doesn't meet something like that. It doesn't touch it. And I'm not saying that I did this in their lives. I'm saying God allowed me to be a part of something incredible that was going on. And to be a part of something bigger than myself is so much more fulfilling than the answer to any selfish prayers I could ever pray. And if we truly take this and really go, okay, God, how do I bring your kingdom here? And how do you make me a part of it? The fulfillment that comes from that is far greater than any selfish thing we're ever going to get. I would trade you all of my future golf days for just one of those stories. Every time. Because I get to be a part of something bigger than just me. And I think we all crave that and we all need that and we all desire that, but we have to ask God for that. And the last part that I think is so important from this prayer is this. 
It reminds us that all of this is through God and not us. Jesus very clearly starts this, our Father in heaven. He doesn't say, hey, followers, go try really, really hard to make this happen, okay? Put in all your effort. He says, our Father in heaven, please make this happen. Make this happen by doing this in our lives, but it is through God and God alone. It is not through us. John chapter 15, verse 5 says it like this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is reminding every single one of us, this is not something we're set out on the mission to do all by ourselves. This is God calling us to join him in something he's already doing. And this goes back to that image of God that you hold, because if you have an image of God where he's just this big, like, spiritual army commander, and he's like, go win the Bay Area for Jesus, it feels a lot different. But if you have the picture of the father that's in the pool, in the deep end, and you're standing on the edge of the pool, and he's saying, jump, try it, come jump, I will catch you, I will be here for you, but you've got to risk it, it's time to jump. See what is out here for you. Trust me in this, but jump. That's a completely different feeling, and it calls us to something completely different. So my challenge for you as we close is this. If you feel like you're to the place where you can genuinely do this, my challenge is pray the Lord's Prayer every single day for the next week. Intentionally, thoughtfully pray the Lord's Prayer every single day for the next week and see what God does. See how he uses you to bring his kingdom here and see if that's not way more fulfilling than any selfish prayer you've prayed. And I'm not saying don't stop or stop praying the selfish things. Pray them. But pray for something bigger. Pray for something more. And as we close, if you want to, I'm going to close by just reading the Lord's Prayer. That's what I'm going to pray, and you're more than welcome to join me if you want to do that, but that's how we're going to close out today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen.